he's hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But, no, but, but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh, a touchdown. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Oh, can you feel it? Week 16 of the National Football League. But tonight, this music is not signifying the Rams and the Saints. No, sir. No, 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 no. We got serious business going on in the 1010XL Fantasy League. We are in the semifinals, and it is the Hacker After Dark Bowl. It is Denmark. It is Hacker for the right to go to the finals next week. Ladies and gentlemen, it has all come down to this. We did our draft in early September. The blood, the sweat, and the tears for Denmark and myself have brought us here to week 16. Four teams remaining. One of them will advance to the championship game next week. If that's not drama for you on a Thursday night, I absolutely do not know what is. Welcome into Hacker After Dark on a Thursday, 1010XL 92.5 FM with the aforementioned Dylan Denmark. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. We're glad you're with us. Now, Denmark, you are the number one seed. You have home field advantage. Whatever that's for, yeah. All the expectations, all the prognostications, everybody is picking you to beat me. I'm coming in on a seven-game winning streak, but I am the clear underdog. I think ESPN has me as a 10-point dog coming into this week. Do you feel any sort of pressure to validate that? No, the only thing I worry about is that James Cook and Laporta went off last week, of course, when I was on a bye. And so it's kind of hard to go off back-to-back weeks, but I'm confident. I'm a 13-point favorite, by the way. Oh, it's gone up to 13. And a half. Wow. There is serious money coming in on Denmark right now. No question about it. Tonight's either going to be a good night for you or a really bad night for you because I have nobody going tonight, and you have Cooper Cup and uh, Williams, the running back. So you need to get out to a substantial lead on me, no question. Good luck to everybody that's still involved in their fantasy playoffs. I know you're very interested, and I will keep you updated on Denmark and I's semifinal game. The winner of our game... Who's the other side? Mia O'Brien and Matt LeVay? Yes. All right. So the final four, it started with what? 12, 14? How many teams did we have? 12. 12. Started with 12. Eight have been eliminated. The final four left, ladies and gentlemen. It is going to be something to watch. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we kick it off with a big deal of the night. And Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Leon Searcy, the birthday boy, former Jaguar offensive tackle, joins me in less than 15 minutes. I don't know if you know this about me, guys, but I'm never going to be confused for being the most positive media Jaguar person. 
If you follow me on game day on social media, you'll probably realize that I'm never going to be confused for ultra positive guy, dare I say sunshine and rainbows guy. I've picked them to lose many games this year. I will pick them to lose many games in the future. Um, I just don't pick the Jaguars for the sake of picking them. Some of you just get all upset and your feathers ruffled if you say anything negative about the Jaguars. If you say anything negative about Trevor Lawrence, good grief did I have to deal with that earlier this week. But I'm never going to be the guy that just praises them for praising them's sake. That's just not me. That's not in my DNA. Having said that, they're going to play Tampa on Sunday, a red-hot Buccaneer team, winners of three in a row. Tampa controls their own destiny for the NFC South. Jacksonville, losers of three in a row, hanging on to their division lead by an absolute thread. Injury problems all over for Jacksonville. We know Christian Kirk is out. We know Cam Robinson is out. Zay Jones is going to be out. We don't know about Trevor Lawrence yet. We'll get clarification on that in the next 24 to 48 hours. He has not practiced both yesterday and today in the concussion protocol. Tampa Bay reasonably healthy for this time of year. Everything in your fiber as a football fan will tell you This favors Tampa Bay on Sunday, and oh, by the way, they are the home team. Why do I think Jacksonville is going to win? I've had that feeling all week. Whether it's Lawrence or Beathard, I think Jacksonville is going to go down there and they're going to win a football game. There is a talented team in Jacksonville, Florida. Now, they've been dormant for the last three weeks. They've made completely and totally asinine mistakes. They've looked like the Keystone Cops at times. Quite frankly, they haven't looked like an NFL team at times with some of the boneheaded mistakes that they've made. It's been awful. Turnovers, crucial penalties, missed field goals, horrific clock management, injuries, you name it, it's happened in this three-game losing streak. Knowing what we know about football, there's no reason to think that's going to change, right? But again, why do I have the feeling that Jacksonville is going to go to Tampa, Florida on Sunday and they're going to win a football game? You know how quickly things can change in the NFL? I was thinking about this on the drive-in. Everybody's talking about this AFC South race, right? This AFC South race, three-team race. Well, let's look at it from a positive Jaguar standpoint. Jacksonville will know what Houston and Indy did because they're both 1 o'clock games. Jacksonville is a 4 o'clock game. If Houston loses at home to Cleveland, certainly plausible. Looks like C.J. Stroud's not playing again. And if Indy loses at Atlanta... Less likely, but certainly could happen. Atlanta is in a must-win situation. And if Jacksonville finds a way to beat Tampa, then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the Jaguars can win the division next week at home against Carolina. Beat Carolina next week under that scenario, and you're AFC South champions. 
That is how quickly things can change. On the flip side, if Indianapolis and or Houston win at 1 o'clock and Jacksonville loses at 4 o'clock, for the first time since late September, early October, the Jaguars will not be in first place in the AFC South. That's where we are, man. It is a crazy scenario that we are here, but that is the reality of the situation. If Indy and Houston both win, and Jacksonville also wins, the Jaguars are still in very good shape. Tampa Bay clearly is the hardest of the three remaining games. Plus, Indy and Houston play each other week 18. But isn't this fun? It's much better than the alternative, right? Last year, we had to have the Jaguars win, and we had to hope Tennessee would lose. This year, don't you don't need that yet. Jacksonville still controls their destiny. But despite a three-game losing streak, despite the awfulness of the last month, this is a million times better than being 3-11 and and the season being over. This is a million times better than being 5-9 and and thinking about what could have been. You have games that matter on Christmas weekend for the second straight year, as a matter of fact. And that is a great spot to be in. Yeah, it sucks losing three in a row. Not going to sugarcoat that. But this is certainly a lot more fun right now with huge games late in December than what the Jaguars experienced for 11 out of the previous 12 years, starting with 2021 and working your way back a decade. Jaguars and the Buccaneers on Sunday. You will hear the game, 4 o'clock, right here, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. And yes, I know what you were asking yourself. Hacker, is there going to be a fifth quarter? Well, ladies and gentlemen of Jacksonville, Florida, while you are consuming the brown water with your loved ones and pounding the eggnog and getting ready for Santa Claus to come down that chimney Christmas Eve, why don't you snuggle up to the fireplace and turn it on 1010XL and 92.5 FM because absolutely there is no place I'd rather be on Christmas Eve from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock than in this radio studio with the head coach Dave Campo talking Jaguars and Buccaneers. We will indeed have a fifth quarter, two hours after the Jaguars and the Bucks go final. And I have a, um, a request for the football powers that be. If you're in control of the NFL, the script writers, I have a request for you. Two of the last three fifth quarters have started after 1 a.m. The Jaguars lost both of those games. Cincinnati on Monday night, Baltimore on Sunday night. Yet we were here, we didn't complain at all. 1 a.m., 2 a.m., show ended at 3 a.m., both times talking about a loss. Can we get a freaking win on Christmas Eve? Can you give us some positivity on the fifth quarter before old St. Nick comes in to deliver the presents? 
Heck, we might see the sleigh and the reindeer leaving the radio station Sunday night. Jaguars-Bucks, it is a enormous game for Jacksonville, and quite frankly, it's an enormous game for Tampa. We will go down to Tampa in about a half an hour, a little less. My buddy Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa, will give us the Buccaneers side of this matchup on Sunday. But first and foremost, let's talk to the birthday boy, Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You hear him every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark as we preview the Jaguars and the Buccaneers with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us. It's a Thursday night, and you're right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Buccaneers Sunday at 4 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. The Jaguars 8-6, and three-game losing streak against a Tampa team that is now 7-7 seven and seven and has won three in a row. With that, we welcome in my friend Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You get him every day on primetime. You get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, how are you, man? I'm doing good, bro. Uh, you're That's good. I'm doing well, too. Unfortunately, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Leon, are not doing well. They've lost three games in a row. That was bad Sunday night. I know you and I talked about it on the fifth quarter. You've had a couple of days to – decompress I guess and evaluate what happened uh just your thoughts Leon on this three-game losing streak well I mean listen um I always say after after Thanksgiving um December will reveal uh the pretenders from the contenders and right now the Jaguars in my assessment of the way they played the last couple of weeks they're pretenders to prove otherwise they they are not playing their best football in December. And if you're not playing your best football in December, most of the time you'll be watching the games in January. So I'm, I'm hoping that that's not the case. Uh, you know, I, I love this team and I want to see them excel, but um, I'm, the product on the field just hasn't been good. It really hasn't been good. And, and most of the problems this team is having is offensively. You know, I know we have our, the injuries, I know that the offensive line is makeshift, but you know every team is. Every team in this particular time of the season, they're going through something. But I see those same teams that go through something win football games. Um, I, I've seen other teams win games with patchwork offensive lines. I've seen other teams win with backup quarterbacks, backup wide receivers. So I'm not. I don't have any sympathy for the Jaguars. They just need to buckle up, tighten up bat down, and get it done. Leon, the first half Sunday night was a comedy of errors for the offense and the special teams. You had two missed field goals. Brandon McManus all of a sudden is, quite frankly, just not very good right now. Trevor fumbles the ball when nobody touches him. And the most inexcusable thing was that play at the end of the first half. Leon, you played 11 years in the National Football League. You played in a Super Bowl. I mean, you're a guy to ask, how does something like that happen where you have no timeouts, you have to know that, you get tackled in bounds, and the clock runs out on you? That's that's Pop Warner stuff, is it not? 
It is. It absolutely is. You know, it's quite embarrassing. I mean, uh, it's really, in my assessment, it's, it's a joke because here's the thing. That, that this lets you know um, that the, the attention to detail is not being put in place because I played in 11 years in the NFL, and we go through the last, the last segment of practice is two-minute drill. And, and you get different scenarios in the two-minute drill to make sure stuff like that doesn't happen. And I, I'm, I'm, and I blame Trevor. And I'm telling you why I blame Trevor. Because I don't care what was heard in his ear. He's been playing football since he was probably 10 years old. He's played at a very high level in high school, of course, in college, won that championship, and now in the NFL. Whatever was said in his ear, he should have overridden it. He should have said, no, we're going we're gonna to spike it. And we're going to spike this ball. And then when he would have came to the sideline, let's say he scored a touchdown, kick a field goal. Whoever was in his ear said, "Hey, you did the right thing. You did the right thing." He's got to he's got to call an audible in that situation. He's got to do what he feels is best. Running that play with no timeouts and the clock to run out going into the halftime, just all the momentum was gone. It was a hell of a throw to get down there. Absolutely hell of a catch to get down there, and then. You go and you give me that? That, that, that was terrible. It's inexcusable. It's embarrassing. Quite honestly. Anybody that's played the game long enough knows better than that. It, it's inexcusable and it's embarrassing. Leon Searcy here with us on Hacker After Dark. Leon, I agree. It was awful. And I'll tell you what else was awful. And as an offensive lineman, I know how much you guys love to establish the run and pound on the opposing D-line, particularly in the second half. When you have 60 offensive plays, 6-0, 60, and you call 13 runs, that is ridiculous. Now, the Jaguars ran the ball 17 times because Trevor scrambled for four of those when the pocket collapsed. But how on earth can you explain 60 plays and only 13 called runs? I mean, I mean it's a – I listen, hack up. You can ask any offensive lineman what he prefer to do. He prefer to pass, protect, or run block. He'll tell you run block because run block is 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 a tone setter. All right, it's a tone setter. Uh, you're able to get physical on defensive fronts, defensive linemen. You want to wear them out. You want to set. The, you want to send a message often and early, early and often to the team that what you're going to be about. And, and you know, at first, to see, I don't appreciate this because initially coming when the game started, they teased me. I mean, I saw them in heavy formation. I saw an extra lineman out there, and they're running inside zone. And they're picking up seven yards. And then they're running again, and they're picking up five, and they're picking up eight. And I'm saying, okay, you're sending the message to this defense that this is going to be a long day and that we're going to run the ball right at you. And then, then all of a sudden, they get cute, and it disappears. I mean, all the momentum that you were building with the offensive line to impose this will on the defensive front, you took all of that away. And then you, you, the thing that the, the Ravens excel at, which is getting after the passer, I mean, you, you just gave them the key to the front door. You gave them the key to the front door of your house, basically, because that's exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted to be able to put pressure on Trevor, make him inaccurate. But but if you, the, any quarterback's best friend is an established run game, and whoever was calling the plays took that away from that offensive line. You know, Chris Collinsworth alluded to something on the broadcast, Leon, and I'm curious your thoughts. 
Trevor Lawrence is very good, right? Now, I don't think he's beyond criticism. I've been critical of him this week, but I'm still very happy he's the Jaguar quarterback moving forward. But I thought Collinsworth brought up an interesting point. Trevor sometimes wants to have the 30-yard deep shot instead of taking the five-yard button hook that's there. He wants to make something, you know, sexier or flashier, if you will, than just a simple check down. Sometimes, Leon, to me, taking the sure five yards is better than taking the 30-yard shot where it's a tougher pass to complete and you don't know what could happen. Do you believe Trevor does that too often? That's what Collinsworth was alluding to. He doesn't take the easy throw. He tries to make something happen, and sometimes making something happen results in bad things. Hacker, Hacker, listen, I'm at the game, okay? I'm at the game inside the club section, and I'm inside inside the club section because it was cold as hell outside. I wasn't going out there in the cold. So I was in there. I was in there watching the game. I was in there watching the game. I was watching the telecast inside the inside the, the stadium. And the first series, the first series where he had that overthrow to um he had that overthrow to um uh what's his name? Uh, Calvin Ridley. All right. Travis Etienne was right there. If he had just dumped that ball up to Travis Etienne, he picks up eight, he picks up eight to ten yards running the ball. But he went for the twenty. He went for the 15, 20-yard shot uh, uh, with Calvin Ridley to, to, to start the game. And I remember Travis Etienne saying, hey, bro, I'm here. That was early in the game. I, I remember it specifically because I had these two young ladies in front of me. And I and I said, hey, Travis right there. And they said, mm-hmm, baby, he was. And so <laughs> I, I remember it distinctly, Hack. It was early in the game when it happened, man. And that, that just frustrates me. Because you you don't always have to you don't always have to um, hey, listen I I I don't need you to win big I mean I right now with the way we're playing and losing I would take winning ugly I mean and and it, for some reason Trevor Trevor wants the big plays all the time but man he's just gotta he's gotta be a little bit more patient and if you got a dink and dunk man you need to dink and dunk I mean we we need a win bad now. I'll tell you who was pretty good at dinking and dunking. A guy named Tom Brady made a, a Hall of Fame career out of throwing seven-yard button hooks to Rob Gronkowski. And you know, and then he would take the deep shots every once in a while, certainly. But you go back to Brady's career, even Mahomes to an extent, they take what the defense gives you, and that ultimately opens up deep shots later in the game. Final moments with Leon Searcy. Leon, all right, there's a lot of negativity in this city. You know, we've used the analogy the sky is falling and they've always responded this year. Well, it does feel like the sky is falling now. People are panicking. I mean, you could argue if the Jaguars don't make the playoffs, it would be maybe the worst collapse in franchise history from 8-3 and three to missing out on the playoffs, which is absolutely a realistic possibility over these last three games. How do you block out the outside noise in the locker room? Because outside that locker room – there's a lot of negativity swirling about this team. Well, I mean, a, a lot of the negativity is is um, is warranted because the expectations for this team going into this season were high. Uh, and, you know, coming off a season last year where they made that run, the way they ran it and won that playoff game, the way they won it, man, everybody just said, hey, this team is legit. But be quite honest with you, I'm watching. I remember what I felt like last year, 
how I feel right now. Uh, that team last year, right now, at this week, this season, that team last year is better. And I say it's better because they seem to have more heart. They seem to play with a lot more desire. You know, that team right there last year when they was on this run, uh, they had a lot of comeback games, man. That 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 signified what this team was all about. There was no give up in this in in in, in that team last year. And 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 what I see today, I, what I see this season is um I just don't see the heart. I don't see the attention to detail. I don't see the execution and intensity. And it and and you and you and they're not playing the best football in December. I mean, that team last year, they were the team. Listen, that team last year was the Bills this year. Everybody is saying, man, you don't want to see this team in the playoffs. You better make sure they don't make the playoffs. That's what they're saying about this Bills team this year. You don't want to see the Bills in the playoffs. They make the playoffs, they're going to cause somebody trouble. That was us last year. That was this team. We were the team that didn't nobody want to see in the playoffs. We had the high streak. We had things rolling. We were getting after you defensively. We were scoring points offensively. We weren't making silly mistakes like not clocking the ball with seconds to go in the game with no timeouts. That wasn't us. So, I mean, this they need to right the ship. I mean, if they, if they collapse, they don't win out. If they lose these next three games and don't make the playoffs, they will be remembered. They will be remembered. I, you you got to put them up there with some of the worst Jaguar teams ever, it's, in my opinion. It's very Tennessee-esque from last year. Tennessee lost, what, six or seven in a row to miss the playoffs. The Jaguars are flirting with that. Leon, final question. They go to Tampa. The Buccaneers have won three in a row. They look very good. Obviously, Tampa, a lot more momentum. But the Christmas Eve aspect of it, you know, we talk about these guys like they're gladiators and, and they're warriors. They're also – people right with families and, and with children and unfortunately Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday you got to travel on the road a four o'clock game is there anything in into that for Jacksonville and Tampa's got to do it too by the way to have to play the evening of Christmas Eve when you're away from your family well I mean listen it can be a little difficult especially if you have small children um I'm pretty sure throughout my career I had to deal with that same case scenario whether I was a Jaguar or a Steeler. Uh, it's tough, bro. It's tough when the kids, uh, you know, in their pajamas and they're all excited about gifts. And uh, it's tough, bro. But but you you, you got to be a professional about it. You got to stay focused. And you know, and, and your wife has to be. Uh, understanding of the fact that this is just the nature of your business and uh, and just be supportive you know but I, I it, it does go through the guy's mind it's the holiday season you got little kids uh, you want to be there for them because to be quite honest with you man and I, I dealt with this when I when I was playing man I I, I spent more of my time traveling and, and, and preparing for football than I did with my kids. And then I knew that the only time I really had time for them was during the holidays. So I tried to cherish every moment of it. Yeah, it's a tough situation for a lot of NFL players, but it's the way the calendar falls. Games go on, and it's a gigantic game in Tampa. Jaguars, Bucks. Quickly, Leon, we got about 30 seconds. Who wins the game? Tampa. Yeah. Tampa. Tampa's. 
Tampa's playing with more desperation than we are. I, I, I what what I saw uh, last week, if that's any indicator of how this team is going to play, they're going to be in trouble. And again, it's complicated with Trevor Lawrence and the protocol. Zay Jones appears to be out. The Jaguars do have some massive injury problems going in to this game. Leon Searcy, you get him every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, Merry Christmas, my friend. Always appreciate you. Uh, Thank you for all you do for us, and we'll do it again soon, my friend. All right, Merry Christmas, Hack. Uh, Tell little Hack I said what's up. (laughs) Oh, he loves Leon. I will definitely do that. Thank you, buddy. (laughs) All right, bro. There you go, Leon Searcy. Happy birthday to Leon, by the way. Little Hack made him a little birthday video earlier today. Rams and the Saints, big one in the NFC, two seven and seven teams battling for their postseason lives. Rams have it third and goal now at the Saints three-yard line. Really long drive for the Rams, fast-moving first quarter, three minutes to go in the first quarter. They're scoreless. Again, third and goal for the Rams at the New Orleans three-yard line. We've talked so much this week about the Jacksonville stance on this game on Sunday. What about our neighbors to the south in Tampa Bay? Three-game winning streak, Baker Mayfield coming off what honestly may have been the best game of his NFL career in the win against Green Bay last week. He had a perfect quarterback rating. Let's go to Tampa. My buddy Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa, does a great job covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he joins us next. Hacker After Dark on a Thursday night going to Tampa, talking to Zach Blobner here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Buccaneers, Sunday at 4 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL and what is a very big game. Two division leaders hanging on by a thread, Jacksonville at 8-6, and six, Tampa Bay at 7-7. Seven and seven. With that, let's go to Tampa. Our man down there is Zach Blobner, formerly sports radio here in Jacksonville. You now hear him on WDAE Radio in Tampa, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Zach, how we doing? I'm doing great. The sun is shining and uh, should be a fun holiday game between our two Sunshine State teams. Yeah, it's a big game, no question. Let's talk Tampa first. And Zach, a month ago, Todd Bowles was going to be fired. Baker Mayfield needed to be benched and the sky was falling. And now the Buccaneers are in first place and control their own destiny for a division title. What on earth has happened in the last couple of weeks? Well, it's a Christmas miracle. Uh, No, joking aside, the thing about it is the offense is just a lot more efficient lately. They're averaging 28 points a game in the month of December where they're 3-0 with road wins at the then-division-leading Atlanta Falcons. Obviously, this past weekend up at Lambeau. And really what's happening is you're having a team that had a lot of parts kind of trying to figure things out, hitting their stride. First-time play caller Dave Canales had never done it before in Seattle. He's starting it out here in Tampa Bay. He had his best game as a play caller as an OC in Green Bay last weekend. Baker Mayfield, we know him. He's been on four teams since he got into the league. Certainly an up-and-down career. Everybody has a thought about him. He's polarizing. I think he had his best game, though, as a quarterback last weekend in Green Bay. So that's the OC and the quarterback, best game. And then Todd Bowles, a lot of the things that he's done wrong in terms of being a head coach and stepped in it in the past, he started to correct the personnel decisions. He's playing the better players regardless of how much they're getting paid or their experience. And he's been known to not do great with clock management. 
Even last weekend, though, he used all three timeouts, and they got points before the half, something that he rarely does accurately, correctly. He did in Green Bay. So when the head coach, OC, and quarterback are on the same page, usually that means good things for a football team, and we saw the results of that against the Packers. We've seen it all this month so far. Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa. Zach, you mentioned Baker Mayfield. He is playing terrific football as of late. Is this going to last in Tampa? Is he going to be the guy down there for the next couple of years? We're starting to believe that a little bit more and more each week. Now, clearly, I think it'll depend on the last few weeks of the season and if they get that playoff game, what it looks like. Um, But this team is different than it was with Tom Brady a year ago than it is today with Baker Mayfield. And it might not be a bad thing. There's many of us here in Tampa Bay that are starting to buy into Baker in this version of the Bucs versus what it looked like again a year ago and starting to believe that they're actually a better team overall uh, as currently constructed. Baker has really cut down on turnovers. He's protected the football fantastically this year, something he hasn't always done in his career and some of his other stops. And that's also contributed a lot. And I would say more than anything, what's helped him look good the last few weeks is that the run game is working when it hasn't at all, not only this season for Tampa Bay, but all of last year, they were dead last in the league when it came to their rushing attack. To have the O-line and Rashad White, the running back, start to actually finding a rhythm has made Baker Mayfield's life a lot easy. But people are starting to believe he might be the QB again in 2024. There's no doubt he's got some studs at wide receiver. Let's begin with Mike Evans, 1,000 yards for the 10th straight year, 92 career touchdowns. I mean, Zach, I know he got a little bit of credit when Tom Brady was there. But I really wonder if outside of Tampa, if people talk about Mike Evans as much as they should, that guy's going to be in Canton, Ohio one day. Absolutely. Uh, The conversation here in Tampa with Mike has been, is he a first ballot or does he get in after that? We know he's on his way. He's getting the jacket. Um, He's QB proof. I mean, look at him even before Brady with Jameis. He had a thousand yards each season. Mike Glennon, uh, one of the McCowan brothers was here. Fitzmagic was in the mix. Like, Josh Freeman, like he's had all these different quarterbacks tossing him the rock, and this year Baker Mayfield, even Kyle Trask in training camp was throwing around with him a little bit. I mean, Mike Evans is QB proof, and I I think you hit the nail on the head. If he was elsewhere, let's say he played uh, for Chicago, people would be talking about him as a top five receiver every season, and I, I think that's the type of guy he is. I think he's comfortably been in the top 10 every year, in my opinion, but he might not have gotten the love he deserved until Brady got here and shined the spotlight on this offense. Mike's amazing. Um, It'll be interesting because he wants to get paid, and and that was a big point of contention this previous training camp. Well, he's having a hell of a year again, and he's a big reason why the Bucs are having some success this year. He's going to be expensive, but he's also a free agent. We'll see. I know he wants to stay in Tampa Bay next year, and I know they want to find a way to keep him here. doesn't always mean it happens, though. Mike Evans, a terrific player. You you mentioned, you know, Rashad White. He's being great, particularly catching the ball out of the backfield. And Chris Godwin looks healthy again, Zach. Ten grabs over 100 yards last week. The Jaguars secondary in the front seven, the defense entirely, they got their work cut out for them on Sunday. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think, you know, with Godwin, they're using him in the slot a little bit last weekend, which is where he is at his best. Now he's suffered injuries because of that. You take more hits there. But that's where he is the best version of himself. So if they're using him there, uh, it's definitely going to be a handful for any defense, including Jacksonville. And the one thing for the Jags to watch out for, again, back to giving Dave Canales the OC credit, he got a lot of people involved. Coke Keeft is a tight end that hasn't seen a pass since week one. He scored a touchdown against Green Bay last weekend. David Moore, we haven't even heard of his name since training camp. He scored a touchdown last weekend. So all these different guys getting involved. I mean, you know Mike Evans, you know Chris Godwin. Obviously, Rashad White is ascending in the NFL circles around the country. 
but everybody getting involved last week and Baker Mayfield being able to conduct it. Uh, the offense is humming even more so than the defense these days in Tampa Bay. And again, they are a handful right now. A couple of more for Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa. Zach, defensively for the Bucks, it's kind of a soap opera with Devin White right now, right? I mean, what's the story there? Uh, that it is a soap opera, and the, the show goes on, right? Um, it's crazy because Devin White is a guy who was very much under fire last season in Tampa Bay. There were people that thought he was taking plays off, and, and honestly, it was hard to argue. There was a specific game against the Ravens on Thursday Night Football last year where he clearly wasn't finishing plays. He wasn't finishing his tackles after certain Ravens players, and, and that was apparent. Um, now, trickle that into the offseason where he demanded a trade, requested a trade. He was flirting with the Eagles all over social media, and we didn't know if, A, he'd be back in Tampa Bay or if anybody in Tampa Bay honestly wanted him back the way he was acting. But he got to training camp. He said the right things. He played hard. He practiced hard in camp. And we thought, okay, maybe he's turning the corner and he's set for a big year. A hungry Devin White could be a scary Devin White. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case because he has not been good. He's been awful on tape uh, since week one. Now he's been banged up the last three weeks where, again, the Bucs are in a three-game winning streak. And you get to this latest part of the saga where allegedly from multiple people, including Richard Sherman, who used to be on this team on his show, said that Devin White was told he would not be starting over K.J. Britt, another linebacker that's playing well right now, making less money and was a much lower draft pick. But K.J. Britt's playing better than Devin at linebacker, and Devin apparently doesn't want to be a rotational linebacker. That was the story for two days. Yesterday, Devin White comes out and says, alongside Todd Bowles over at the Advent Health Training Facility where they practice, no, it's all good. I'm cool with whatever role they have. I'm happy this has all been blown out of proportion, trying to paint a pretty picture. But there's enough reports and there's enough smoke to this fire that clearly something was off this past weekend. And honestly, if you're Devin White, you don't have the benefit of the doubt after what the way you acted this offseason. It's, it's drama-filled. And I don't know if it has anything to do with the game Sunday. Like, I don't know if it – spills into the Jags and the Bucks going head to head. But I also wouldn't be shocked if it did. If if Devin gets in there and it doesn't hurt this defense, hurt this team, uh, I wouldn't be shocked. That'll be something to follow because Devin White at one point you could argue was maybe the best player on that Buccaneer defense. That is certainly no longer the case. Zach quickly before we talk about Sunday in particular, for the Gator fans up here in Jacksonville, are the Buccaneers done with Kyle Trask? I mean they invested a second round pick in him it's been a couple of years now, and he's barely seen the field. Yeah, I, I struggle with this because I keep thinking there's a chance for him to get in, and then he doesn't, and then something happens, whether it's his fault or not. In this case, obviously, Baker's just playing really good football, and that's why he can't get out there. But there was a game against the Colts where Mayfield was banged up, and I give him credit for being tough and getting back out there, but I'm shocked they didn't let Trask play a little bit longer in that game so that Mayfield could at least get checked out a little bit more. Um I think in my heart of hearts, the GM, Jason Light, really wants Kyle to get in there and see what he looks like. But overall, there just seems to be this, you know, pushing of Kyle Trask to the background. And it's been that way since they drafted him. It's a very bizarre situation because I don't know why you'd spend a second round pick on a kid you never want to see in an actual football game, in a, in a meaningful game in some capacity. Even back to last year where you had Blaine Gabbert backing up Tom Brady, not Kyle Trask. The final game against Atlanta meant nothing. And Kyle played one series at the very end of the game. It just it doesn't make any sense, and you could argue the Bucks already know what they have in him, but you know we've seen a lot of guys come out there and play a lot better in an actual game than they do in practice or preseason or anything in between. Um, it, it does feel like, almost for sure, we'll give him the Michael Jordan 99.9 percentage uh, that Kyle Trask probably isn't going to get meaningful starts as a Buccaneer. Uh, I'd be I'd be pretty surprised at this point.
Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa. Zach, as we make the turn for home, man, Sunday, the Jaguars come in. I got to be honest, when the schedule came out, and even as recently as a month ago, I'm thinking Christmas Eve, 4 o'clock kick, who on earth is going to go to that game? And now all of a sudden, it's division leader versus division leader. Both teams desperately need a win to keep that division leader status intact. I mean, what's the vibe you're getting about the Christmas Eve fans, the crowd that's going to be in Raymond James Stadium on Sunday afternoon? Yeah, and it's funny, like you said, a month ago, I think everybody in Tampa Bay circled that is a loss for the Bucs. They were like, yeah, they're not going to beat the Jags. You know, Jacksonville's a, a hierarchy, top-of-tier type of team in the AFC. The Bucs are middling in the awful NFC South. But today, as it stands, Bucks fans are pretty optimistic. And us in here in Tampa Bay, we're looking at this matchup against a Jags team that just obviously lost to Baltimore and has issues in terms of Trevor Lawrence's health and the uh, protocol that he's in. And Bucks are kind of like feeling – they're feeling themselves. Fans think that this is a game that not only the Bucks could win but should win, it being at home. Uh, as I mentioned, and I'm sure you're doing the same in Duval right now, we're all just waiting to see if Trevor Lawrence is going to play or not because that is probably by far the biggest storyline for both teams combined right now. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And Tampa Bay is very hot. Jacksonville – ice cold. I agree with you. I think Tampa probably should win this game, at least the way both teams are setting. Final question, NFC South. It's a dogfight. New Orleans uh, plays tonight, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, Atlanta falling off a little bit, but they're still alive. I mean, what's your thought on the way the South plays out? Yeah, I, I'm kind of shelving the Falcons for now. You can't lose to the Panthers and, and earn, you know, our talking about you right like if you lose to the Panthers you don't deserve to be in this chat with us about the NFC South um, mathematically obviously they could rattle off three and find a way to win I'm not putting money in that though the Saints and Bucks about equal right now in terms of like how hot they are the Saints have won a couple in a row Carr finally looking like the quarterback they paid for but the Bucks went to New Orleans at the beginning of the year in week four and beat the Saints by double digits handled them now they'll get them at home next week after this Jags game and I'm buying the Bucks. I'm buying the Bucks to finish the schedule strong against Jacksonville, the Saints, and then the Panthers at the end of the year. Uh, I just like the way it lines up better in terms of the NFC South for Tampa Bay, a team that seems to be humming a lot more consistently this past month than the Saints have, but not by much. You get Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio, Middays in Tampa. He's our guy when it comes to the Buccaneers here in the city of Jacksonville. Zach, appreciate it. Know you're busy. Happy holidays, brother, and we'll talk again soon. Yeah, no doubt. Appreciate you, and happy holidays to everybody over there in Duval. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is. One hour down, one hour to go. Jacksonville will take you up till 10 o'clock tonight right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. The Rams, a 10-0 lead over New Orleans. About 10 minutes to go in the first half. This is the first game in week 16 of what is a very important slate of games. The NFL schedule makers did a terrific job this week because you look at some of these games, there are playoff implications all over the place. Tonight, 7-7 seven and seven New Orleans at 7-7 seven and seven LA. Saturday, game one, 8-6 Cincinnati at 7-7 seven and seven Pittsburgh. That's probably an elimination game for the Steelers. They have to win that game to keep their playoff hopes alive. Cincinnati is just rolling with Jake Browning. Winners of three games in a row. Jamar Chase, though, will be out of that game. Saturday night, Buffalo goes to the Chargers.
Buffalo, pretty much a must win there for them at eight and six. And then Sunday is just terrific. You got eight and six, Indy going to play six and eight, Atlanta. Atlanta in a must win. Indianapolis basically in a must win. You got 10 and four, Detroit competing for seeding, going up against seven and seven, Minnesota, trying to keep their playoff hopes alive. You got Green Bay at six and eight, trying to keep their playoff hopes alive against lowly Carolina. Of course, Carolina comes here a week from Sunday. Cleveland and Houston is one of the juiciest games of the week. Cleveland 9-5, and five, Houston 8-6. and six. Looks like two backup quarterbacks there. Joe Flacco for Cleveland. It appears Case Keenum again for the Texans because C.J. Stroud, it appears, is going to miss his second straight game in concussion protocol. Obviously, I wouldn't say that's a blueprint for Trevor Lawrence. Stroud took an awful shot against Tennessee and was down for a while. Trevor finished the game. All concussions are not made equal. So I'm not going to say Trevor's going to miss two games, but C.J. Stroud is, it appears, in the concussion protocol. Of course, Jacksonville and Tampa Bay, we've talked about that. How about the Dallas Cowboys and the Miami Dolphins? Are you kidding me, man? 425 Christmas Eve, that is absolutely spectacular. The Raiders and the Chiefs, that's a big game in the AFC. And then, of course, Monday night, Baltimore and San Francisco, the two teams that are both the number one seeds in their respective conferences right now going at it. Potential Super Bowl preview there with Baltimore and San Francisco. So, schedule is terrific. This week, of course, here in Jacksonville, you're doing a lot of scoreboard watching and you're starting to have to scoreboard watch other AFC teams competing for wild cards. That's the problem the Jaguars have. If the Jaguars don't win their division, they're in a lot of trouble to make the playoffs. Cleveland's got a tiebreaker over them. You're probably not catching Cleveland. Cincinnati's got a tiebreaker over Jacksonville. That's troublesome. Buffalo at 8-6, and six, even though you beat them head-to-head, they're playing much better football than you. So it appears Jacksonville, it's going to be very similar to last year. It's going to be win the AFC South or you're not going to the playoffs. Uh, hard to believe under that criteria, it's basically the same situation. Different ways of getting there last year compared to this year, obviously. But again, it appears if you do not win the South, you are more than likely not going to go to the playoffs. Of course, we'll have to see what transpires here during week 16. Nine o'clock hours, all about the National Football League. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Ben Arthur, FoxSports.com and the Fox Sports app. He is their AFC South guy for FoxSports.com. We'll get his take on the Texans, the Colts, and the Jaguars coming down the stretch. Coming up next, my buddy Chris Trapasso of CBSSports.com. Chris does a terrific job as one of the main NFL guys on CBS covering the National Football League. Let's talk Jaguars. Let's talk AFC and more. It is a Thursday night in the city of Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. It's Hacker After Dark, 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Buccaneers on Sunday at 4 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on your home 
of the Jacksonville Jaguars, 10-10 XL. Jacksonville comes in at 8-6. and six. Tampa Bay comes in at 7-7 seven and seven in what all of a sudden is a very big game for both teams. With that, let me welcome in Chris Trapasso, CBSSports.com. Does a terrific job covering the National Football League, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Chris, how you doing? Pretty good, Ryan. Thanks for having me on again. Hey, Chris, always appreciate the time. Know you're very busy this time of year. Uh, unfortunately, the Jaguars have gotten busy in the losing department. They've lost three in a row. And, Chris, Sunday night against Baltimore, man, that was not a pretty scene for the Jaguars. No, I mean, this is a team that looks completely night and day different from how well they were playing complimentary football football earlier in the season, that the defense was healthy, uh, getting a lot of turnovers, creating a lot of big plays. Trevor Lawrence, the run game, they were spreading the football around. And you're right, the last three weeks culminating with that loss in primetime against the Ravens, it just looks like a completely different team at kind of the most important time of the season. Chris, you've covered the league for years. That was embarrassing in the first half, right? I mean, it was a comedy of errors. Two missed field goals. Trevor fumbles the ball without anybody touching him. And then at the end of the first half, that, I mean, that's Pop Warner stuff, man. That that can't happen, correct? Yeah, totally. And, and I think if there is something positive that you want to take from that is that, in general, I think when you have Trevor Lawrence, who's pretty experienced now, he's played a lot of football from his high school days through Clemson, a lot of big games, and then their head coach, Doug Peterson, you're probably not going to continue to get some of those boneheaded plays, especially at the end of the half. I mean – We've seen Doug Peterson call out the kicker that they need to make their kicks in some critical moments. They they miss some kicks in uh, beyond just in that Ravens game in this three game losing streak. So if you're an optimistic Jaguars fan, you're thinking, all right, these are some really obscure plays that probably won't continue. To have six turnovers the last two weeks in one kind of blowout loss and one tight loss on the road. Um, that's usually not a good recipe to ultimately win games, whether you're on the road or you're facing a good team. And they face two good teams in the Browns and the Ravens back-to-back. And like you mentioned in the intro, this Buccaneers team is playing its best football now with Baker Mayfield coming off a game where he had a perfect passer rating in Lambeau Field against the Packers. Chris Trapasso of CBSSports.com. Chris, the Jaguar offense, I talked to you at the beginning of the year, so much promise with Calvin Ridley and Kirk and Jones, ETN, Ingram. I mean, go on down the line, and yet in their three biggest home games, some of which they were fully healthy for, Kansas City, San Francisco, and Baltimore, they've scored one touchdown in those 12 quarters. What has happened to this offense? Yeah, that's a really good point to bring up that it seems like they have had struggles against those tough defenses. And you're right that in in most of those games, they were healthy. I think recently um, we've seen the importance of Christian Kirk on this offense, that to be that reliable chain mover on those third and fives, third and six from in the slot, uh, it really frees up what you can do with Zay Jones and Kevin Ridley on the perimeter. Uh, I think Zay Jones probably not being 100%. He's wearing that big knee brace. Um, It's just an offense that is pretty reliant on Trevor Lawrence's arm, what Doug Peterson can do schematically, and throwing the football. And to to be down essentially one and a half of your wide receivers, if we're going to say that Zay Jones is is not even close to 100%, but still gutting it out, 
that's going to hamper any offense, especially one that, again, is not trying to run it 40 times and keep the ball out of its quarterback's hand. So those other games earlier in the season, um, I think they were kind of wake-up calls for this offense. They did ultimately right the ship there, you know, early in the season after losing to the Chiefs, um, after getting blown out by the 49ers. But now they have to kind of go into these last three games of the regular season and think maybe it is time to lean more on Travis Etienne, Tank Bigsby, um, what they want to do on the ground, set up the play-action game, um, because it's not a team that right now, with Christian Kirk injured, can just win in 11 personnel, spread teams out, and throw the football all over the field. So I, I think being more balanced, and, I, and I'm the biggest advocate of throwing the football in today's NFL, especially when you have a quarterback as talented as Trevor Lawrence. But when your receivers are down, I know Parker Washington has made some plays, and I liked him a lot coming out of Penn State, but you need to be able to lean on other facets of your offense. And I think with Travis Etienne and a pretty good offensive line, the Jaguars can do that. CBSSports.com's Chris Trapasso here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Chris, understanding that Trevor right now is in concussion protocol, we'll have to obviously wait and see what that means for Sunday. But nearing the end of year three for Trevor, I know you studied him a lot in the draft. Obviously, you've you followed him and covered him in the NFL. What's your opinion on Trevor almost three years into his career? Um, I think he's pretty close to meeting expectations. I wouldn't say he has unequivocally met them because they were just so high that he was almost a, anointed when he got to Clemson as, oh, he's going to be a future number one overall pick. And then the freshman season, he wins a national title and looks like he was ready to start then. And then he has two more very good seasons, didn't really regress a bunch after losing a lot of talent to the NFL at Clemson. Um, but I think to your question earlier was a really good one. To have those big games, Kansas City, um, San Francisco, to not be able to go toe-to-toe with a, a juggernaut of just an offense in general and Brock Purdy in San Francisco or Patrick Mahomes yet. Um, I know obviously last year's wild card playoff comeback against Justin Herbert was memorable. It's one of the best wins in Jaguars history. Um, and, and you did see some of those ridiculous plays and throws from Trevor Lawrence to not get those more consistently in year three, I think is probably why I'm, I'm saying he hasn't quite met, met the expectations but again the bar was set extremely high and I still think that um, you know when a team is not really playing its best football and this kind of goes for really any sport I think it's it's usually silly to be faulting the team's best player I still think in most games Trevor Lawrence does a lot to keep the Jaguars in games or ultimately win them so I, I, I don't think people or the the fans or the Jaguars organization should be you know, upset or disappointed in the performance and the efficiency that Trevor Lawrence has put forth in these first three years. Could he be better? I think he would probably tell you yes. Um, but again, whenever you take receivers away from a starting quarterback, especially in today's NFL that's filled with so much parity, it's going to be difficult to move the ball through the air. Have you seen enough from Calvin Ridley to give him big money this offseason? Mm. I don't think so. I I don't think it's – when we talked earlier in the season, it was trending in the direction of, yes, that he is someone that 
creates separation, wins at all three levels. Um, I know we saw that graphic during the primetime game against the Ravens that he's drawn the most, uh, I think, defensive holding and pass interference penalties. And, and that speaks to how sudden he is and how intricate of a route runner he is. But earlier in the year, even when Christian Kirk was, was playing well and was healthy and Evan Ingram has been a breakout tight end and to have Zay Jones as kind of your, your deep ball guy and a good run game and Trevor Lawrence, there were some lulls where Kellen Ridley wasn't really producing at a high level. Do I think that they should just let Kellen Ridley walk? I wouldn't say that, but to, to look at around the league that you're paying a, a top wide receiver, you know, 18 million per year or more at that position that is very valuable. And I think a lot of teams that are paying that are completely fine paying that big money for those top receivers. I, I think Kelvin Ridley is in the tier right below that. So I think whether that means he's going to just say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to leave, I'm going to hit free agency and, um, and just try to get that 20 plus million per year elsewhere. He may do that or, you know, taking a little bit of a discount that I think is more aligned with his production to stay in Jacksonville with, you know, a Super Bowl winning head coach that's offensive minded and with Trevor Lawrence. I think for him in terms of his production and uh, like his overall legacy in the NFL, that would probably be the smarter move because I don't, I think this year he's proven that what he was in Atlanta, a very, very good number two, that's kind of where I think he still is even after getting that full year off. Couple of more for Chris Trapasso of CBSSports.com. Chris, it was thought coming into the year the Jaguars were going to control the AFC South, and that was the thought three weeks ago after they beat Houston and how quickly things can change. You look now, mm-hmm. and it is a three-way tie at the top. The Jaguars do own the tiebreaker over both Indy and Houston. Let's begin with the Colts. I mean, Shane Steichen has to be in consideration for Coach of the Year for what he's done up there. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I mean, we saw it with him working with Justin Herbert in his rookie season and then the job that he did helping to develop Jalen Hurts. And in both of those situations, and I think more so in Philadelphia than in L.A. with the Chargers, just scheming guys open, making easy throws for Jalen Hurts. Uh, I mean, certainly having the players around him, the offensive line, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith certainly helped. Then to go to Indianapolis – where you don't necessarily have, um, you know, all these amazing skill position players and a top flight defense, still a good offensive line, which I think helps and has been key to Gardner Minshew playing good football, but still scheming guys open, winning these tight games, winning in some blowouts when, you know, they are facing a backup quarterback like a Mitch Trubisky. Uh, it, it, it does show that he's doing a great job and it almost seems like, the AFC South comes down to that week 18 game almost every year and shows that, I mean, even with the Jaguars just a few years ago, Trevor Lawrence helped turn that organization around in a hurry. And as for the Texans, CJ Stroud has been that integral element to uh, the Texans going from a team that had some of the longest Super Bowl odds before the season to being right there in the thick of not only just the AFC wildcard race, but obviously, you know, in true contention in the AFC South. So, so to be a three team race down the stretch um, and a lot of these teams have to play each other, of course, beyond just week 18 that um, Houston has games against the Titans and the Colts. 
uh, it's just going to make for a a lot of very exciting, fascinating football down the stretch. Chris, as we begin to wrap up, you mentioned Tampa Bay, the Jaguars opponent on Sunday. Look, a month ago, Todd Bowles was on the hot seat. I'm looking at the schedule. I'm thinking Christmas Eve in Tampa, 4 o'clock. Who's going to that game? Well, this is a gigantic game all of a sudden for both teams. We don't know Trevor's status yet, so it's hard to talk about the Jags. But from a Buccaneer point of view, boy, the job Baker Mayfield's done recently is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I think with the Buccaneers, you you view them as a team that is more susceptible on defense now this season than they obviously were in the Super Bowl year. But even the last couple seasons when post-Tom Brady, they were still very, very good defensively up front, the pass rush the secondary, the linebackers, they're more vulnerable on defense. But I think Baker Mayfield has really settled into this offense. Um, And if you can pressure him and really stretch his athleticism to the limit, that's when you can get some bad decisions, some turnovers. If he's able to scan inside the pocket, and and that's not to say that, that he needs to have, you know, never be pressured once in an entire game. But overall, if he is comfortable in the pocket, especially early on and gets into a rhythm, to have Chris Godwin and Mike Evans with another 1,000-yard season, uh, some good tight ends. Rashad White is kind of underrated, one of the the, the more reliable and dynamic pass-catching running backs in the NFL. Um, it's not a very fun offense to have to face because they do have those big-bodied weapons. They use the screen game well. Chris Godwin can get down the field. We know Mike Evans, even though he's not crazy fast, has always been such a big weapon down the field because of how good he is boxing out corners and safeties and just high pointing the football so I think that's kind of how like you would scout the Buccaneers going into this game that they are facing a relatively hot quarterback a defense that you can move the ball and score points on but you're going to probably need to do that because again Baker Mayfield distributing the football very well to his weapons Chris Trapasso CBSSports.com Chris final question who wins the AFC South Man, that's that's tough because, like I said, to to not only have uh, two teams but three teams in, I I still think overall the Jaguars are the best team. Now, if Trevor Lawrence can't go on Sunday and they lose to the Buccaneers, um, then that might seem like a pretty bad prediction. But I still think we've seen Houston win a bunch of really really close games that have come down to the last minute, dropped interceptions, interceptions in the end zone. Usually over time, that kind of regresses back and, and teams aren't just winning every single close game that they're in. And for as good as Shane Steichen has been, like we mentioned, we had it a few weeks ago against the Cincinnati Bengals. You do get those games from Gardner Minshew where you realize, oh, he is a backup quarterback who's been a, a, a great stopgap guy, a great bridge this season with Anthony Richardson hurt. But I think I, I always lean in these critical situations on the quarterback um, and the head coaches. And I think Doug Peterson, even though, again, the last three weeks, things have not been good. They've been a little sloppy. This is a, a guy that's won a Super Bowl, has navigated with a backup quarterback through the playoffs to beat Tom Brady and the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Uh, I, I'm going to lean Jaguars just because of the quarterback and the head coach dynamic. And I still think for as much as the Jaguars have turned the football over of late, six turnovers in the last two games, the defense can still generate a lot of big plays in that secondary. I think it's a very deep and good and still relatively healthy secondary. So it's going to probably come down to the last 
quarter of the last game, but I still think the Jaguars ultimately win this division. Chris, tell the good folks here in Jacksonville, man, what you have coming out on CBSSports.com this week. Still sticking with a lot of playoff talk um, when it comes to and just evaluations of young players and their impact on the AFC, mostly the AFC wildcard race and just the playoff race in general. There's just a lot more teams involved. Um, and then over the next couple of weeks, we'll be certainly diving into the NFL draft as we're in the NFL playoffs. Chris Trapasso, CBSSports.com, does a terrific job covering the NFL. Chris, happy holidays, my friend. Happy New Year, and we'll talk again in 2024. All right. Thanks a lot. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Buccaneers on Sunday at 4 o'clock and what is a huge game for both teams, both fighting for division titles. The Jaguars now find themselves at 8-6 and six and in a virtual tie with Houston and Indianapolis. The Jaguars do own the tiebreakers currently over both teams. With that, Ben Arthur does a terrific job covering the AFC South for FoxSports.com and the Fox Sports app, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Ben, how you doing? Doing well, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Hey, Ben, always appreciate it, man. We've had you on every month of the year, and every month of the year, the Jaguars have seemingly been in first place by themselves, and that is really not the case right now. They have been caught by Indianapolis and by Houston. The Jaguars do own those tiebreakers. But, Ben, for a division that you cover, boy, what a final three-week stretch this should be. Yeah, it's it's going to be really fascinating down the stretch. And and I don't think any of, the, any of us could have really predicted this, right? I think we all kind of knew entering the year that the Jags would probably be the, the top team in the division, but the way they have unraveled has been quite stunning and then on top of that the how Houston and Indianapolis have been so much better than anyone could have possibly projected uh with first year coaches and and teams with with rosters essentially in transition and to be where they are at right now as you said both uh all three teams are eight and six now it's really crazy and 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 of those three it looks like the Jags the Jags are kind of in the worst position, right? Just because of how they've played and, and all the injuries and, and whatnot. And, and, and then it seems like Houston and Indy are sort of like on the uptick, so to speak. So it's really crazy. First of all, how we got here, but, but then these last three weeks, it's going to be really fascinating to see how all this shakes out. Yeah, it's funny you say that when we were doing the post game show after the game on, I guess, early Monday morning, it was, we said, even though the Jaguars are technically still in first place. It feels like we're trailing Houston and Indy based on the way all three teams are playing. All right, let's focus on the local team for the start here. Uh, ben, what's gone wrong, man? I mean, they, they were – the offense was awful against Baltimore. And if you go back to Baltimore, San Francisco, and Kansas City, three national showcase home games for the Jaguars, in those 12 quarters, they scored one touchdown which was the Jamal Agnew score on Sunday night the offense is simply not getting it done in the biggest moments yeah it's exactly what you said uh Ryan the offense isn't getting it done I think Doug Peterson who 
it was really clear just in his tone, his demeanor, like it, it looked like he sound, it sounded and looked very defeated. And he had kind of talked about like how, how the, how the Jags, they're just not the kind of team that, that can beat these good teams uh, at this point in the year. And it's a lot of it is really kind of mind boggling because it's not like they haven't been, in scoring position, right? Like I'm thinking specifically on the game against, against Baltimore yesterday, uh, like, like they had plenty of opportunities, right. But, but then they miss those back-to-back field goals. Then Trevor Lawrence somehow just loses grip of the ball. Like he wasn't hit or anything and fumbles the ball in the red zone. And then later in the game, again, fumbled the ball after a strip sack, uh, which was also like in plus territory that they had so many opportunities uh, to, to really be in this game, to, to really even win. Um, and the defense could only do so much. I think for the, for the most part, like the defense really did a good job containing uh, the Ravens and, and the Lamar, Lamar Jackson. We know how good he could be, but, but it just kind of broke in the end. Um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, these, the, the Jags keep beating themselves, uh, and, and it maybe kind of looks a, a little different every week, but they, they just find a way to, to lose the game, whether it's, as I said, against Baltimore, the just completely blowing scoring opportunities, or it was like the previous two games against the Browns and Cincinnati, where they just got exploited by backup quarterbacks, just kind of uh, whether it was like wide open guys, as was the case against Joe Flacco in the Cleveland game, or just kind of getting diced up as uh, Jake Browning did for Cincinnati on on the Monday night game at the start of the month. Uh, It's kind of a failure to execute in, you know, in scoring position. It's kind of all the yards they're giving up. It's, uh, a lack of situational awareness. We all kind of know how uh, Trevor Lawrence just just had a massive mental error at the end of the first half last night uh, where he didn't spike the ball and then threw it to Parker Washington, who was tackled inbounds. Um, or it's just so many different things, Ryan. And, and it just feels like the season is kind of slipping away. And there is still plenty of football left. And as you said at the beginning, the Jags do have the tiebreakers at the moment with Houston and Indy, but you want to be playing your best football at this point in the year, right? But they're they're now 0-3 in December, their first three-game losing streak since last year. Uh, and and they just seem – they've just completely lost their mojo at this point. And it's really hard to envision right now, and especially with the way Houston and Indy are playing – that they'll be able to get out of it. So um, I'm not very optimistic on the Jags at this point, as I'm sure many people in Jacksonville and Duval County are at this point too. Ben Arthur, FoxSports.com and the Fox Sports app here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. It's all so complicated now that Trevor Lawrence is in concussion protocol. I mean, look, we know how tough he is because he played through the knee and he's played through the ankle. I mean, he's a tough dude, but this week has nothing to do with toughness. It's the NFL-sanctioned 
concussion protocol that he has to get out of, and will he be able to get out of it in seven days, or will it be C.J. Beathard starting an enormous game in Tampa on Sunday? And it's an enormous game, Ben, because of what you said with Houston and Indianapolis. Let's first go to Indy. Shane Steichen needs to be considered for coach of the year. When they lost Anthony Richardson, people thought the season was over. Jonathan Taylor has played in less than half their games. Darius Leonard is now playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, they've had attrition, injury, or just otherwise on that team, and yet they just keep winning. I I made the comment on social media. They're kind of a pain in the you-know-what, but that's, I think, their identity, and they kind of like being a pain in the you-know-what. Yeah, it is. Uh, It's exactly that. They're very – I know resilient and and grittiness can really be buzzwords and in in football and and kind of in NFL culture, but the the Colts literally embody that. You mentioned Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor and – but but they've had so many other issues beyond that too, right? Like for a good portion of the year, their run defense actually hasn't been that good. They've had cornerback issues all season. Gardner Minshew, who's been filling in for Anthony Richardson, has, has kind of had a lot of ups and downs. Um, yeah, just personnel issue after personnel issue. And they, they just keep finding a, a way. And and as you said, it, it starts with Shane Steichen. I, they have really taken – they've really embodied kind of his spirit. I think it's so impressive how in spite of all the offensive issues they've had, you mentioned Jonathan Taylor has uh, missed so much time and, and their right tackle actually has missed uh, six games in counting as well. And Minshew, as I said, it has been up and down, but they're still eighth in scoring. <laughs> they're, they're scoring basically 25 points a game in spite of all the issues uh, and then I think what's really carried them, Ryan, for, for, for a lot of these games is their pass rush has maybe been their one consistent thing week in and week out that they have 46 sacks on the year. They're third in the league, uh, tied for third in the league in in, uh, in that category. And they, they've won five of their last six games in those five wins. They have 25 sacks. Uh, which is second uh, or no, it, it's tied for the league lead uh, since week nine. And, and so th- they've been able to get it done in the past rush. It, it's a very uh, versatile and, and, and they have a lot of depth in, in terms of the pass rush. They have four guys with over six sacks and that's created a lot of their turnovers, which uh, has helped the defense, which in, in a lot of cases has had to help carry the offense because of, either Minshew making mistakes or the run game has been kind of hit or miss because of Jonathan Taylor missing so much time. Um, But yeah, these Colts just seem to find a way. I mean, a lot of people will think they're kind of frauds because they, 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 they they have all these issues and maybe personnel wise, they're not with the top of, of the AFC just in terms of a talent standpoint. But they just find a way to win, and and I think that starts with Shane Steichen. I mean, outside of Kevin Stefanski, who's done an incredible job in Cleveland, I think at this point Steichen is like the the, the favorite for Coach of the Year. I think it's between him and Stefanski at the moment. Final moments: Ben Arthur, FoxSports.com, and the Fox Sports app. 
Another guy that'll be on that ballot is D'Amico Ryans in Houston. I mean, look, they were without C.J. Stroud, Nico Collins, Will Anderson, Tank Dell. New York put a pretty good number on them last week. They go into Nashville, the Oilers throwbacks, the Titans feeling pretty good about themselves after last week against Miami. And for Houston to win that game in Nashville, you talk about the growth of a young team right in front of your eyes. Houston saying, don't forget about us. We're not going anywhere either, as they are now 8-6 and six and part of this three-way tie in the South. Yeah, they're they're – I mentioned kind of resilient and, and gritty with, with, with the Colts and, and you could say the same thing with the Texans under D'Amico Ryans, as you said, they uh, were down several starters uh, even beyond the guys you mentioned. Uh, they were without their right tackle. They're without their top off ball linebacker. They were without one of their best defensive backs too. And, and they're able to pull out a win and, uh, I think it really speaks beyond maybe grit and, and like resilience and, and all those kind of things. Uh, it really speaks to the depth of the Texans. Like that they're down with they're, they're without their top two wide receivers and Nico Collins and Tank Dell and Noah Brown, who at times this season has, has been actually dominant, but, but had been quiet the, the previous two weeks. Uh, erupted for a, a season high eight catches and, and 82 yards. He had a really, he really filled that void nicely. And Dalton Schultz, uh, their starting tight end who had missed the previous two games with a hamstring injury, he came up big. And then Devin Singletary, who's become their lead back. I mean, Damian Pierce has kind of fallen into to the background. It's been David, uh, Devin Singletary, who's been RB1 for them. He had over, um, what was it? Uh, over 120 rushing yards on on nearly five yards of carry uh, to to just kind of overwhelm a Titans defensive front that historically had been known to uh, stop the run really well. And so uh, I, I think that that was huge. But but then just to see the way the defense stepped up. I mean, Will Levis was sacked seven times. Um, they picked him off as well. A uh, lot of pass breakups uh, really made life difficult for, for the Titans offense after they had marched 80 plus yards on, on their opening drive. And so I think if you're the Texans, knowing that you're kind of without CJ Stroud, you're without all this offensive firepower for your defense to step up in that way this late in the season down so many guys, it's huge for them. And and so I, I actually think from my perspective, I'm, I'm probably – the biggest on Houston just with what they're capable of because you know that they're going to be getting a lot of these guys back for the stretch run. Um, and so, yeah, Houston is another force to be reckoned with. And, and yeah, D'Amico is right there with Shane Steichen and Kevin Stefanski for coach of the year too. All right, Ben, final question. Now, a couple of things complicate this. We mentioned Trevor Lawrence in concussion protocol. We'll have to see what happens there. You also have to take into account that Houston and Indy play each other week 18. One of them has to finish better than Jacksonville because Jacksonville is going to have the tiebreakers over both. Jacksonville, I think if you're being realistic, can they go 2-1 and one to get to 10-7? and seven? And if they go 2-1 and one from here on out to get to 10-7, and seven, that would then force either Houston or Indy to go 3-0 and oh, 
from here on out with the knowledge that that can happen for both because they play each other week 18. And as you look at the remaining schedules, Jacksonville at Tampa, home Carolina at Tennessee, Houston, Cleveland this week, which is really interesting, then Tennessee, then at Indy, and the Colts go Atlanta, Vegas, and then Houston. Ben, what happens? Who wins the division in two and a half weeks? I'm, I'm going to say Houston. Uh, and and probably your listeners may not be happy about what I just said, but momentum is so important. Confidence is so important. Knowing who you are at this point in the season uh, late in December is so important. And, and the Jags, uh, they, they probably, but they have, I think they have the most favorable schedule, uh, maybe from a, from a win loss standpoint of the remaining opponents, but the, the, there's just, you, you struggle to find reasons to be optimistic about how this Jags team can finish the year on top of Trevor Lawrence being in concussion protocol and Zay Jones possibly missing time. And then just not really knowing what they're doing offensively and then how we've seen their defense to be so vulnerable. Um, but, but like Houston, I, I mean, the Cleveland game is going to be tough, but I just think with, with the way they've played, how their depth, again, how I mentioned that, like how their depth has showed and knowing that they're going to be getting CJ Stroud back, how they're likely getting Nico Collins back, how they're going to be getting these guys back for the stretch run. I just feel really good about where Houston is at. And uh, the, the quarterback play is, is so important. And I, I just don't have a lot of faith in Trevor Lawrence right now. And, and we know what CJ Stroud is capable of. We, we've seen him being able to put the Texans on his back. Uh, and, and then uh, of course, with the Colts too, like just how up and down Gardner Minshew has been in, in a race this tight. Uh, you know, I, I kind of have to give the edge to the, a, a team that, that is not only winning games right now, but also has the best quarterback play when healthy. And, and to me, that, that's, that screams Houston. And so, um, so that if you're asking me, like, who, who I think will win, like, like that's kind of who I would say. And I'll um, tell you this, at, too. At this if that does happen, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, uh, from 8-3 and three to not going to the playoffs, potentially, look, I don't think it'll be Doug Peterson, but somebody's going to fall on the sword for that here in Jacksonville. 100%. Whether it's an offensive coordinator, whether it's – a general manager, I, I don't know. We can lead the mind to wander, but you're not going to go 8-3 and three to then missing the playoffs and not have some turnover and somebody having to take the blame for that. We'll see. It's going to be fascinating. Ben Arthur does a great job covering the AFC South for FoxSports.com and the Fox Sports app. Ben, appreciate it. Happy holidays, man. Happy New Year. And if it's still very, very tight heading into Week 18, we'll hopefully dial your number again and settle this thing there on the season finale. Sounds good, Ryan. Thanks again for having me, and, and happy holidays to you as well. And thank you to Ben Arthur, FoxSports.com, and the Fox Sports app for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark as the AFC South has gotten awfully complicated over the last couple of weeks. Jacksonville, Houston, and Indianapolis all at 8-6, and six, and potentially all three playing backup quarterbacks this week in what are very big games for all three organizations. My big takeaway from the evening, 
here on Hacker After Dark is, look, the Jaguars are 8-6. and six. They would have killed to be 8-6 and six last year. Remember, they were 6-8 and eight at this point last year. But we're running out of weeks to say that, right? The Jaguars have lost three in a row. Tampa Bay has won three in a row. The Jaguars are ice cold. Tampa Bay is red hot. Everything is pointing towards Tampa winning this football game. But why do I think, and I've never been positive guy, never, ever, ever. You guys know that. I've never been positive guy when it comes to the Jaguars. Why do I think Jacksonville is going to go to Tampa, Florida and win a football game? I just, I got a feeling. It might be indigestion, but I got a feeling. I'll give my official prediction tomorrow, but I think I'm probably leaning Jacksonville right now. We will certainly see what happens. Well, that'll just about do it. It has been a very busy Thursday night edition here of Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. Certainly thank you guys for hanging out with us this evening. We have a lot of people to thank. Again, Ben Arthur, FoxSports.com, and the Fox Sports app covering the AFC South. Thank you to Chris Trapasso of CBSSports.com. Always love talking ball with Chris Trapasso and appreciate him taking time out for us this evening. Down in Tampa, my buddy Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa, gave us the Buccaneers side of this matchup coming up on Sunday. And back in hour number one, the birthday man, Leon Searcy, one of my best buddies here on the radio station. Leon, a very happy birthday, brother, and appreciate you joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Friday to close out the week, and we do hope that you join us then. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday evening, and we will do it again tomorrow night to close out the week on a Friday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.